he goes, where's the manager? And I go, I'm the manager. And he goes, well, where's Sam? And I'm like, well, I'm Sam's son. So he goes, I haven't met you before. I was like, well, I haven't met you. So nice to meet you. You want your sandwich or not? And he goes, yeah, I'll take it. And so he takes it and goes and sits down. And he starts complaining to the waitress. And he's like, you know, that guy, he doesn't know what he's doing. He's a kid, da, 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 all this stuff. And he ends up being one of the judges in St. Louis City, like a super high powered judge. Uh oh. Whoops. Welcome back to The Real Slim Fady Show. I am your host, Fady Hawatma. And I am blessed and honored to have my man, Brandon, joining us today. Brandon, how you doing? Pretty good. How about you? Good, good. Excited to excited to chat. I know we've been talking about getting you on for uh, for a while now. And so excited we can finally make it work. Absolutely. So I'll, you know, I'll kind of kick it off easy. Give you give you kind of an easy answer. You know, introduce yourself. Kind of what are you doing? What are you up to? Um, and we can go from there. Well, my name is Brandon Thornton. Uh, I am a third generation owner of a tax and accounting firm in the DFW Metroplex in Texas. My grandparents started this business out of their house at their kitchen table in the early fifties, late forties, right after the war. And, uh, I've been running it for about seven years now, kind of been loosely involved with it for about 10, but we do anything tax and accounting related and are getting more into the, the business consulting realm with CFO services, marketing consulting, vision mapping, things like that to help people kind of get over the, the biggest hurdles with their businesses. Awesome. So I got to ask, third generation, was this something that everyone was like, all right, this is what you're going to do? Or did you opt into it? Or how'd that play out? Um, I spent the better part of my young adulthood avoiding this just because I didn't think it was something that I wanted to get into. I went to college at UNT for kinesiology and, you know, got to the final couple of courses and life took over. So I had to make some other changes. But, but along the way, I completed a psychology minor and a health promotion minor, which kind of helped me subsequently as I got into other things. But, you know, I was a, a personal trainer. I opened boxing gyms, working in that for a while. And then when I got married, I had to find a job because uh, at the time the market kind of fell out and elective spending went out the window. So all my clients kind of ran for the hills, but I got into physical therapy because it was more of a necessity and it was you know paid by insurance and most people had insurance. So it was better job for me to kind of have some security. And then from there, I actually met my first boss in my first real wage earning career, which was in oil and gas. He was one of my patients and he ended up hiring me and taking me out. I worked in oil and gas for probably four or five years in various capacities. What do you do in oil and gas? I worked in productions and completions for the majority of it, which is, I didn't do any rig work, but, you know, after the rig came and drilled the hole, then we came out and we did stuff prior to frack to prep it and then came back after they were done fracking, drill out basically the components that they put into it and recover it until they start production. Is it true oil and gas people are making that much money? Because I hear the people that work on those on the drills and do all that kind of stuff make like a bajillion dollars. Uh, it depends on who you work for. I work for some smaller outfits, so mine wasn't quite, you know, astronomical, but it was definitely a vast improvement over where I was in physical therapy. Mm -hmm. You're walking in day one, you're talking about somebody that has no experience other than being able to swing a hammer and they're paying you two to four hundred dollars a day yeah so wow. i mean it was it was pretty good income that's a huge spectrum going from 
kinesiology, physical therapy, oil and gas, and then now running an accounting firm. What are the things that you learned in physical therapy and oil and gas that has set you up in like a recurring pattern of this is what success is necessary with? I've always kind of just thrown myself into what I'm doing. It didn't matter what I was doing. When I got married, my priorities kind of changed to from, you know, I've just got to make enough to to get by to need to create a life or a family now. So, you know, I've always kind of gone into it with a mindset that if I'm going to do something, I might as well do it right. So always trying to educate myself, always trying to grow. The psychology aspect of my background kind of helped me from the aspect that, you know, when you're dealing with people in whatever capacity, having the ability in your tool belt to kind of think outside yourself from time to time and be more introspective from aspect of how people see you and how conversations can turn has kind of helped me along the way with positive business relationships, regardless of the industry. And it's kind of helped me also with prioritizing what I wanted to do going forward. Cause the reason I got back into the business to kind of finish out your question before, before was that I was traveling with oil and gas. So I was gone, I could be gone two weeks or I could be gone two months and then I could be home for 20 minutes or 20 days. And I lived out of a suitcase for five years. And you were married during this entire time? Oh, yeah. Wow. It uh, was a trial, but it, we figured that if we can make it through something like that, then that kind of speaks to the strength of our relationship. Yeah. And it definitely opened up the ability for us to communicate a lot more effectively because I was gone. But found out we were pregnant with our daughter and it was like, okay, I'm not, you know, I've got a brother that's in the military. He's been gone for the majority of his daughter's lives up to this point on deployment or trainings or whatever he had to do, I wasn't willing to commit to that. I, w- I wanted to be there. I wanted to see all the important milestones in my kid's life and, you know, whatever it took. So, you know, prior to going into oil and gas, I had taken a fire academy exam for the city of Plano and scored in the top 25 out of 400 applicants. And they took the top 20. Kind of an odd turn of events that you know, my boss initially in the oil and gas industry called me on like a Thursday and told me he needed me on Monday to be on location. I got a call on Friday from the city of Plano telling me they were taking the next 10 applicants through because they had some people retire early. So I was in a situation where I had to call him and be like, hey, man, this is what's going on. And, you know, I took this test and I was really looking into this and it's kind of a good career if I want to do this. And the guy came back with, uh, do you want to do that and maybe have a job at the end of it? Or do you want to show up on Monday and have a job? So I was on location on Monday got out of it and found out we were having our daughter, that was the first thing I did is I enrolled in Fire Academy because we were taking over a business that, you know, our portion of it was from the bookkeeping side and the book, the tax side of it was to take care of my mom. At the time, the bookkeeping wasn't at the level it needed to be for us to call it an income. So mm-hmm. uh, my wife took a consultant position with a client in Fort Worth. They needed somebody to come into their office and kind of step into a role for them. I took her role in our office and was going through Fire Academy. And in 15 weeks, we went from, you know, a handful of bookkeeping clients to 35. And that was enough that I didn't have to pursue it much beyond that. But I did become a full-fledged licensed structural firefighter for a short period of time because it was something that I wholeheartedly wanted to do. I mean, that's that's wild. I have like 7,000 questions about that. One of the questions is, how do you go from a handful of bookkeeping clients to 30, 40, you know, in, in, a, in a couple of weeks? And why, why wasn't that done before? Well, before it was just to support my mom. Okay. And she's very much living within her means. She's not lining a coffin with gold or driving a Ferrari or anything like that. So, I mean, when she was charging what she needed to make a living and was happy with what she was getting, and she was actually spending two days a week outside of her office working for another firm down the street just to make additional income. When I knew I was coming into it, I just came in and let it be known that if you've got 
you know, to our clients that we currently had or anybody else that I talked to, I just started telling them, you know, I, I do this. If you have anybody else that you know of that needs assistance in whatever capacities, then send them my way and we'll get them taken care of. And it kind of took off from there. After about two years of that, when we hit about a hundred clients, my mom started calling me a networking little shit. So um, <laughs> I guess there's worse things to be called in life, but uh, yeah, I think so. It just seemed like every single time I went to, uh, you know, a mixer or a client had a Christmas party, or I went to a chamber of commerce expo, I would come back with at least one or two new clients or prospects. Yeah. And the one thing that I think that is super important on that is like it, every single business, even, you know, I grew up in the restaurant business, right? My dad owned restaurants. And I'll, I'm actually going to share a funny story about how basically my point is everything's a relationship business. It doesn't matter what you do, how you do it. Everything is a relationship business. One of the funniest stories that ever happened at the restaurant was, you know, I would manage the restaurant one just to give my dad a day off. You know, I was 16, 17 years old, then high school down there. I'm the only person running the restaurant. And this guy comes in. I'll never forget this. This guy comes in. He's a regular. We had a lot of regulars at the, at the restaurant. It's an old school cafeteria restaurant. Like literally pick up your tray, nice. get your entree, get like old school, right? The year my parents sold it was the 99th year in operation. We're talking, wow. we're talking a, a St. Louis staple restaurant. And so we had a ton of regulars and, and a ton of high powered people that came and, and ate there. And so I'm standing behind the line and, and, you know, this guy comes and he asks for a ham sandwich. We had full baked ham that we would carve. So full baked ham, full roast beef and turkey, like actual turkey, like from Thanksgiving. Like, so you did it the right way. <laughs> yeah. The, the the way that you don't find anymore. Yeah. And I made this guy this ham sandwich and we always put a generous amount of meat, right? We're an old school place. We want, we want you to leave, put some meat on your bones. And I made the sandwich, gave it to him and he goes, I handed it to him. He handed it back to me. He goes, why don't you make it like you're, you're supposed to make it. And I was like, what does that mean? And he goes, put some more meat on there. I was like, more than happy to put more meat on it. How much more do you want? A dollar, two dollars, three dollars? How much extra meat do you want? He goes, no, you need to make it like you should make it in the first place. And I was like, yeah, I'm sorry that you feel that way, but this is literally how our sandwiches are. If you want more, I found more. Than and keep in mind, this guy was old. He was an old dude. And I'm like, dude, what, like, what the hell are you arguing about this? He wasn't going to eat a, a pound of ham. Yeah. I'm like, you're, 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 this is your one meal for the day and you're going to eat half of it and take the rest home and then eat it the next day. I was like, stop arguing with me. It's also three o'clock in the afternoon and you're eating dinner. So <laughs> yeah. And he goes, so he, you know, I'm, I'm like, it is what it is. And I handed it back to him. He goes, where's the manager? And I go, I'm the manager. And he goes, well, where's Sam? And I'm like, well, I'm Sam's son. So he goes, I haven't met you before. I was like, well, I haven't met you. So nice to meet you. You want your sandwich or not? And he goes, yeah, I'll take it. And so he takes it and goes and sits down. And he starts complaining to the waitress. And he's like, you know, that guy, he doesn't know what he's doing. He's a kid, da, 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 all this stuff. And he ends up being one of the judges in St. Louis City, like a oh. super high powered judge. And it was the, it's the funniest thing because he, he comes up, he goes to the lady. He goes, you can tell Sam that I'm never coming here again because of his son. Arguing about a $5 ham sandwich with me, you're an asshole. But at the same time, I kind of look back and I'm like, man, if I was in that position now, you know, as a 
35 year old, would I have done the same thing? Probably not because, you know, you look at the relationship that that guy has had with our restaurant for the longest time. And I never once regretted it. Right. My dad even was like, dude, you did what was right. Did what you taught me to do. And I was like, yeah, you did. And so my course of action was correct. It's just, I could have handled it in a different way and, and appeased the guy. But at the same time, like customers aren't always right. And clients aren't always right. And a lot of people, you know, that, that, that gets lost literally this morning, this person booked a time on my calendar, right? An accounting firm. She booked a time on my calendar. We had it booked like for a week and this morning she cancels the meeting and didn't put a description on why she canceled it. So I shot her an email. I'm like, Hey, I saw you canceled it. Wanted to make sure that you did it on accident because if you wanted to show up and, and I wasn't there, just wanted you to know it's canceled. I'm thing. She responds, she says, yeah, I didn't know the pricing and I'm not going to waste my time unless I do. And I'm like, awesome. Thanks for letting me know. I don't give a shit to work with someone like that. I'm not going to sit there and respond to you and be like, oh, no, please take a meeting with me. This is our pricing. And then it, like our pricing is very transparent and our accounting partners know if you don't want to take a half hour to actually see how Clockwork can change your firm and change your clients. You're probably a shitty accountant. You're probably a shitty advisor and outsource CFO for your clients. But don't try and act like you're Mr. Big Shot or Mrs. Big Shot on, oh, I'm not going to take, I need to know the price before I waste my time. Like, I'm here to help you. I don't know why people react that way. And it's, it's just always funny how the relationship business that we're in gets so lost because people think that they're, you know, they have an ego. Right. And that changes things. Well, then it's slightly different for you, but it's kind of similar in the aspect that, you know, you're in tech, I'm in finance. But the deal with it is that what we've noticed over recent history is that the customer service aside, there's been a shift in clientele and customers where the expectation has changed. And people have gone from, you know, a friendly agreement that, you know, if something has to change, okay, no big deal, to wanting the gold star standard for bottom dollar price. And it's like, yo, you can't, you can't have both. And I've threatened several times. I've got a blank wall behind me in my office that I was going to put 12 inch letters on it and put good, cheap and fast pick two because you can't <laughs> yeah. have all three. And yeah. been talked off that limb a couple of times, but it's one of those things where we've actually changed the way that we function as an office in recent history to kind of work on that process because before I jump in and spend an hour with somebody, if I know their only priority is that they want a one-time tax return or, you know, want to see me once a year, don't really want any other input from me, and they want it as cheap as they can possibly get it, they're not a client that I want to deal with. Because at any given time, if the rate changes or my costs go up and I have to bump them to the next level, then I'm going to hear about it. I'm never going to I'm never going to stop hearing about it yep. into perpetuity. So we kind of shifted the focus for us to the ones that understand the value of what we're providing and have gone to a value-based pricing model to where we have set standard rates for the majority of what we do and don't bill by the form, bill by the hour, bill by the transaction, because it's to nobody else's benefit but the client and not that we don't want to benefit the client, but the value we're bringing to the table should speak for itself. That's kind of the direction we've started going because we had the same thing is that, you know, we had people that would schedule an hour and come in and talk to me and be like, okay, great. Thank you for the input. I'm going to go plug this in tax, TurboTax, and uh, I'll let you know if I need assistance. Funny thing is, is, yeah, our businesses are different, but they're kind of the same. We still have to do the same stuff. You know, you provide a service, I provide a product, you know, they use our software, but like it's still a 
service. It's still a product. They still have to deal with what we've done. People are rude. I mean, people these days have, I mean, they give no fucks on what your agenda is. And I read this book and it, it talked about like this out of the box and in the box thinking. And if you're in the box, that means you don't give a shit about anyone besides yourself. And if you're out of the box, that's the only true way that you can actually succeed. And the way they made it super, super relevant to daily life, like if you're stuck in traffic and you're like, man, this MFR is not leaving my way. He's taking so much time. I'm going to be, you know, five minutes late to where I'm going. Da, 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 da. You're in the box because you're only thinking about yourself. Like, what if that person is going through something? What if that person is having an issue? What if that person something, something, and you're not necessarily thinking about them. Like you look at getting on and off a plane, you know, everyone's like, oh my gosh, I don't want anyone sit in the middle next to me. What happens if that person's going to a funeral? What if that person's father or mother just passed away or grandmother or whatever, like, and you're, you're worried if they're going to sit in a seat right next to you that they are hundred percent able to, and they paid for, and you're, you're worried about that when there's other bigger shit happening. Like that's the in the box versus out of the box. Yeah. They're worried about life and you're worried about an armrest. That entire shift in mentality, it's like you feel it ever. And I don't know if it's a COVID thing or a post COVID thing or a pre COVID thing, but like it, all of a sudden people are just way more selfish. Like they, they legitimately put themselves over anything else. And I have found it a mission to never work with people like that ever again. Yeah. That's kind of where we found ourselves too, is that, like you said, we don't know if it was post COVID or if it was something where people were cooped up and it caused a, a, a change in the, the, yeah. the climate. But, you know, and what I was kind of getting at with yours, with you being in tech and me being in finance is that, you know, people expect robotic. Like yeah. I expect you to be a robot. Yeah. They, you know, it's a human business. There's, there's no way around it. You're doing business with people. It's a human business. There's the potential for human error. There's a potential for miscommunication. Stuff happens. I have a life too. I fall and break my arm and don't feel like coming to work for a few days. I don't want Joe Schmo from down the street calling to jump my ass because I didn't do something that he requested be done by Tuesday. Like that's not how it works. Like I, I had a, an extenuating circumstance and they expect perfection. And it's like, I'm here to give you the best I could possibly give you. And I, I expect yeah. perfection from myself even more so than you probably do. Mm -hmm. But for somebody to come in and say that this little thing is incorrect or miscalculated or you left this off and want to just absolutely come off the rails with it. Sorry. HR blocks right down the street, homie. And yeah, 100%. And, and the one thing that I will say is on the other side of the coin, it's not all doom and gloom, right? Like there are, I think now we've seen this bigger separation of quality people, really. Like, yeah, there are a lot of shitty people, a lot of the in, in the box people, you know, to, to use that analogy. But there's also now the saying, right? Real recognize real. When you and I first met, it was immediate. We were like, yes, this is, you're a genuine person. I'm a genuine person. And it was so easy to build that trust, build that communication and, and work together within like a week, two weeks, right? It wasn't it wasn't a long, drawn out process of, oh, I don't necessarily know. And I need to figure this out. I no, it's, hey, do you want to work together? Yes, this is where we're at. Complete honesty, complete transparency. And I found that because of all of the kind of shitty people coming out of the woodwork and really showing their true colors, it's allowed a lot of the really good people to come out of the woodwork and really shine above the rest where now there's a big gap. You no, know, you're not fooled by the shitty people acting like good people. You 
can see the good people a lot easily. Then it's allowed people like you and I have that mindset and that kind of aspiration for not only ourselves, but for the people that we're trying to work with Mm -hmm. to really shine. Because, I mean, my whole thing with it is that, you know, kind of along the way, why has changed. You know, it's Mm -hmm. I'm doing this for my family has shifted into, okay, my family's now taken care of. We've grown. We're good. I'm taking care of the people around me now. Now I'm going to start taking care of the clients as best I can. Not that I wasn't before, but now what else can I do that's going to provide value to them so that, you know, I'm doing this because I want to create something that I can grow and scale and get to a point where at some point in time, I'm not elbow deep in all aspects and can take a vacation with my family and not have to worry about getting blown up every 10 minutes with a phone call for a problem or a client needs something. And, you know, what can I do and what can I provide a client to grow their business, improve their business, improve their policies, procedures, whatever the case may be to allow them those same opportunities. Because my comment to everybody is that why did you start your business? Was it so that you could be tethered to something for the rest of your life? Or was it so that you could build something that could build a life for you? I'm going to actually push you a little bit on that because I don't think your why has changed. You know, you said your why changed. Now it's, it's your why hasn't changed. Your why is still your family. I mean, you even said it I want to go on vacation with my family and not get blown up. Your why is still the same. And people's whys, you know, I talk about this to all my team members as well. Like your why should never change because the why is the most critical part of what gets you out of your shit days. Everyone has bad days. Everyone has horrible conversations. But the why is why you're doing the at the core. And then, you know, all the client stuff, like, yeah, you want to provide phenomenal services for your clients, get them what they want, but you're doing it because of what it, it's allowing you to build with your family and, and and time. With Clockwork, we've blown up in the last year and a half pretty significantly. And I look at Clockwork and when I started, I'm like, oh, I'm doing this for all these businesses and all this, this. And then I'm like, no, I'm doing this to set a future generation of how people operate. It morphs, it definitely adapts it and changes, but the or why of a person, in my opinion, never changes it. You are who you are, and mm-hmm. and and that's what drives us. I, I agree with you. I would add to it is that I think for some of the clientele that you and I both deal with, it gets lost somewhere along the yeah, way yeah. when they start yeah. focusing so much on different aspects of what they're doing. That's part of why I'm kind of transitioning how I handle clients and how we deal with clients to kind of get back to not necessarily aware of it, but bringing it back to the forefront so that, listen, man, you're, you're growing, you're doing great. It's awesome. You're making a lot of money. You're spending a lot of money. Are you, are you doing this to build an empire or are you yeah. doing this at some point in time you can do something else or spend time elsewhere? Yeah. Because those are two different pursuits. You know, you got to build an empire and you're fine doing what you're doing and being locked into it. Do it. Be awesome. Mm-hmm. And I'll help with it. But if the aspiration is that at some point in time you want to step away from it, it doesn't start a dumpster fire on your way out the door. What can we do to make that happen? What needs to happen in your business? Yeah. And that's doing deep dives into, you know, your estate in order. Do you have plans for how you're going to have an income when you retire or if something were to happen to you, is there something in place that could take care of your family? Is your business structured in a way that if something were to happen to you, you know, we ran into a situation several times where the client that we were dealing with was one of a a household. Nobody else in the household was on paperwork. There was nothing on paper that said what was to happen with those businesses. So we had two clients that were close friends of my mom that passed away. One had an insurance company and one had a plumbing company. The wife of the insurance agent had been working with him in the business for years. So 
attempted to take it over, but didn't have the knowledge base or the licenses that he had. So it was a struggle before she finally sold it. And the plumber had sons and family that never worked with them. But there was nothing on paper to say that any of them were to take over the business or any insurance in place to find somebody to run it and pay them so that it could still generate an income for the family. So it just went to the wind. I don't ever want to see that happen to somebody. That's why I'm here. I, I came in for a plan of continuity for our family business and yeah. provide a life for my family. So I hate to see a weak point in somebody's strategy or plan that could potentially expose them to a struggle. And that's powerful, man. That's powerful. That's legitimately why you are going to ride above the rest that are doing this quote unquote advisory thing. When you look at the use of technology, especially in the accounting space, it's commoditizing everything. Everything in accounting, bookkeeping, taxes, monthly, you know, close, reconciliation, it's all commoditized, right? So, you know, the clients that are only focused on bookkeeping, they want bottom dollar because quite honestly, they should get bottom dollar. When you talk about the stuff that you're just talking about now, like how do we set up the future? Future. How do we future proof my life? That's the that's real advisory. You know, clockwork is a means to, you know, projections and metrics and real time financials. And blah, blah, blah. clockwork costs a couple hundred bucks a month. Ten times will people get value out of clockwork, but it's what people do with it. And having advisors like you that that's like, hey, this is what it means. This is why you need to give a shit. This is why we're doing this. Then it changes the way people think, the way they act, and then it just ripples through through their entire life. Was previously kind of clouded in the mist and try to kind of clarify it and give a clear cut path to where they want to go. And outside of the value that it provides for them, it gives a tremendous amount of peace of mind. I'm sure you can speak to this as well, being a, an owner of several different businesses along the way is that being a business owner is not something that you jump into and it's all sunshine and rainbows all the time. It is mm -hmm. stressful and challenging and difficult. And there's roadblocks and hurdles that people have to work through. And to have something laid out in front of you that makes that picture at the end of all of that clear so that you can start working towards an overall aspiration, then that's kind of a win-win for everybody. It gives me a clear-cut idea of what I'm supposed to be doing for them. Mm -hmm. And it kind of provides them with something to say, okay, well, maybe eventually at some point, this is all going to be worth it. And that's the biggest deal with it. And that's why Clockwork's been a, a, a good component with what we're doing is that it can do that on the numbers and paper portion of it based on all the information that we're able to provide it with. And then, you know, I'm sure you've done it as well with people that you know, I've gotten involved with it that aren't with an accounting firm that, you know, they're going to look at it and be like, yeah, this is great. This, you know, these numbers look good. And then they're going to look at you and be like, what do I do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's super key. And the analogy that I always use is, is Clockwork will tell you that the light at the end of the tunnel isn't a train coming at you. And that's, that's crucial. You know, you need, you need to know like what is actually happening. This happens, then I will be free. This happens and I'll make it. This happens and I'll have a ton of money. This happens and I'll, that this, you know, this, this, this that we always work for, it's always changing and it's always evolving and having a real understanding of what that this means. Like, what does it actually do for you? Does it actually free you up? Because I'm guilty of it all the time. I always say when I do this, when I get to this point, I'm going to feel like I made it or I'm going to feel like this is great. I'm going to feel like this. It never happens. The, you know, the, it, I've never, I've never once gotten to that point. I'm like, nice. Well, then it's one of the fun parts of business ownership. Once again, is that, you know, you put two things on your plate to say, I'm going to handle this. And in the middle of issue one, you find three more 
that go to the back of the list. Mm-hmm. It just, it's ever growing. So yeah, you might yeah. have progress and you might knock that one out of the park, but then there's three more you still got to deal with. And that's kind of where we're ironing out this portion of our business is that we're putting the policies and procedures in place and formalizing them and getting them into consolidated systems like clockwork and CRMs and client managements so that not to make it cookie cutter, because I don't want yeah. to fall into the realm of the traditional accounting firm, but to make it scalable. I could drop more bodies in this place and they should be able to work it from beginning to end or I can acquire another one and just drop my systems in place and it'll go. But that's been the biggest component for us is trying to get all that in place because, you know, it's allowed me to learn along the way beyond what I traditionally knew. Because, I mean, kind of going further into my background is I've grown up in business. My grandparents were accountants. My dad's an accountant. My mom's an accountant. My stepmom's the CPA with my dad. Um, my dad had a firm in Decatur. My parents... My mom had a firm here, but, yo, know, we also had a family entertainment business. We've opened a driving range. We had a paintball range. Ex-stepdad had a tire shop. Like, we had all kinds of stuff. So I've grown up around business, and it's, it's kind of just been ingrained in me along the way that, yo, know, you can do a lot with it. It's also, I think, what contributed to my, my mindset when it comes to work, because I haven't ever been without a job for more than about six months since I was about 12. I feel odd and out of place when I'm complacent. One of the biggest things that I've legitimately taken from this conversation is just be good. You know, like legitimately be a good person and be who you are. You're always navigating and we all we all have different paths in life. But if you're genuinely a good person and you, you genuinely want good in your own life and for other people, good shit happens to you, right? There's, I guarantee not to, not to speak for you, but I guarantee looking 20 years ago, you were, you wouldn't think that you're, you'd be where you're at right now. No, I wouldn't even on my radar at all. Yeah. Not even close. And so I, you know, I'd love, I'd love kind of the final thought I want to hear from you. What is the one thing that you would tell yourself or as you're starting out in your, in your career, in your life, like what is the one piece of advice you would have loved to have heard when you were starting? Hmm. That's a really good question. The thing that I kind of live by that I heard kind of later in life was that you can't, oh, there's several different ways that you probably heard it, which is, you know, you don't lose sight of the forest for the trees, you know, don't let your grasp exceed your reach, you know, be real. I mean, be, be realistic with yourself. Don't be afraid to have the difficult conversation, I think would be my, my advice to myself is I spent some time initially afraid to have difficult conversations with clients or people or anything like that because mm-hmm. I was afraid of the outcome. And then 90% of the time, it's the complete opposite. But I very much do agree. I'm not an overly religious person or anything like that, but I do definitely believe that you get out of the world what you put into it. So if you're out there putting good someplace, good's going to come back to you somewhere. Yep. I love that. All right, my man. Well, I appreciate it. This has been, this has been phenomenal. Um, I knew this conversation was going to be good, but you know, this was, this was awesome. So thanks so much for the time. It was awesome having you on. Yeah. I appreciate you having me. I look forward to hopefully doing it again sometime in the future. So if you ever need me again, just give me a shout. We absolutely will. And thank you everyone for listening to the Real Slim Fady show again, and we will check you next time. 